United Methodist Church. Loving as God intends through helping, healing, and home. This morning we're going to be reading from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 23 verses 1 through 13. You must not pass along false rumors. You must not cooperate with evil people by lying on the witness stand. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. Do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because that person is poor. If you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that has strayed away, take it back to its owner. If you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load, do not walk by. Instead, stop and help. In a lawsuit, you must not deny justice to the poor. Be sure never to charge anyone falsely with evil. Never sentence an innocent or blameless person to death. For I never declare a guilty person to be innocent. Take no bribes, for a bribe makes you ignore something that you clearly see. A bribe makes, you, makes even a righteous person twist the truth. You must not oppress foreigners. You know what it's like to be a foreigner. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Plant and harvest your crops for six years. But let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and olive groves. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest It also allows your slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. Pay close attention to all my instructions. You must not call on the name of any other gods. Do not even speak their names. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to gather together, some of us here and some of us joining online. But this opportunity to gather and to to worship you, to sing your praises and to reflect together on on your scriptures. This morning we pray that you might open our ears that we might hear. that you might help us set aside our our preconceived ideas or maybe even conclusions about what the scriptures mean or what they say, but that we might open our hearts to your spirit, that we could be transformed through the reading and the hearing. I pray this morning for a clarity of thought that when I speak, it be the words that you have for us, words that carry a power that mine never will. 
and that you might hide me behind your cross. So that what we experience here today at this moment is your grace, your glory, your peace, your love, your joy, your justice, and your righteousness. We pray all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, every year, I think it's every year, I think it's safe to say that, in um, December, I get a form mailed to me in the SPRC. Uh, Those of you that aren't familiar with what the SPRC stands for, it's the Staff Parish Relations Committee. Um, We get a form, and the form is to, it's a consultation form, Um, and and what that means is the district superintendents who make up the cabinet, some of the extended cabinet, and the bishop, they get together every year and they decide where a United Methodist pastor is going to serve. We don't get a say in it. We get, we get moved. And that's why this isn't like a, a preference form. This is a consultation form. In other words, they'll take it under advisement, but then they're going to do what they want. Um, and we assume... And I think safely, for the most part, that there's prayerful consideration that goes into it, right? And so uh, every year, though, for the last several years, the form's been different. And I don't know if that's because um, some people were just copying and pasting answers. I don't know. But, um, but the form this year was completely different than any form I've ever seen before. And, and what it did is it went through and it said, these are, the, these are eight commitments that the pastor makes to the church. And then these are seven commitments that the church makes to the pastor, and, and then we had to go through together as a team, and we had to look at each commitment, whether it be the pastor to the church or the church to the pastor, and say, how are we doing with these commitments? Are, are we doing a good job with them? Are we not doing a good job with them? Um, could we do a better job? Um, and, then which, and then the question was, what one or two areas is your pastor doing uh, the best? Like just rocking out on that commitment. And which one or two are the church doing really well to their commitment to the pastor. And then what area, I forget exactly how it was worded, but it wasn't like, do they stink? It was like, um, <clears throat> uh, provides the most opportunity for growth, right? Which area provides the most opportunity for growth for your pastor in the next year? And uh, before we even got together, I was reading through it and I knew exactly which one it was going to be. Um, <laughs> it was this one. Uh, so it was the... Um, Intentional participation in practices, disciplines for personal spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical health. In other words, uh, the part that the pastor, our pastor struggles with the most, that shows the most area for improvement is keeping Sabbath. Um, I think if we had been using that form for the last 17 years, it would have been the same answer. I stink at keeping Sabbath. And so uh, when I read passages of scripture, like we just read, and it talks about this idea of there's a natural pattern to things. I mean, it talks about how there's a natural pattern to the, the use of the earth. Um, if you caught that, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. But I, I read that and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. I, I, I understand that. Um, and, I, and like people will be like, Jeff, if you don't take better care of yourself, then how in the world are you going to lead a congregation? And I understand, like I, mentally I understand that. But there's something inside me that makes it very hard for me to take 
to take Sabbath. I also found out recently, this blew me away. So I've been doing this now. I've been um, working uh, ministry as a vocation for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years. The second career for me. Um, so I've been doing it for 19 years. I did find out that every six years, you're eligible for a six-month sabbatical. I've, I've never done that. So I'm announcing I'm taking the next year and a half. No, that's not true. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm not doing that, right? Um, but that blew me away. I was like, how come nobody ever tells you that? Well, um, and, and like I said, this isn't a new struggle for me. In fact, Stephen Sauls, um, <laughs> Stephen Sauls, while he was here, he was, he was funny. I don't know if any of you remember Stephen. Um, Stephen was funny, and sometimes it was funny, and sometimes it was just highly offensive. But, but I love Stephen. Stephen is one of my favorites. Um, and he bought me this book. Just, he just, out of the blue, he bought me this book. It's called The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he was like, I just thought you might enjoy reading this. I was like, thank you, Stephen. What are you trying to say? He's like, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. Just read the book. Um, and it's been on my bookshelf. It has coffee stains on it. Uh, it looks like I've read it a lot. I think the problem that I have is actually the problem that a lot of us have, especially in our culture. I had to write this down because I worded it a particular way. I suffer from the delusion that I am personally responsible for ensuring that things get done. Worse, I believe that other people believe this about me too. Do you hear what I'm saying? So let me just say it again, but in a different way. I believe that I'm extremely important. And worse, I believe that other people believe that about me too. But I also believe, and I think it's fair to say, that we judge each other based on how busy we are. And, and our busyness then becomes a direct reflection of how important we are. Think about it. When you talk to somebody and you ask them how they are doing, one of the first things they always want to do is tell you how busy they are. Because even though, I, and I don't think that we often say it out loud, but we think to ourselves that if I can tell you and show you how busy I am, then you too will understand just how important I am, how valuable I am. And so the, the scariest thing for us is to not have something to do because it feels like I'm, I'm not contributing at all, which means I'm no longer valuable because we live in a culture that values busyness. We find our value in this. Our sense of importance is how full our calendars are. I think I've shared with you before, I, I had reached this point uh, at my previous appointment where uh, someone would ask me to do something, and I would, I used to always say, sure. And they would get me into a lot of trouble because all of a sudden I realized I've got like three things going on Monday at two o'clock. So what I finally started doing is that, as I would just tell people, I can't say yes until I uh, have an opportunity to look at my calendar. And what happened was the church bought me a smartphone. We, we, if there is a space on our calendar, we feel it necessary to fill it up. I, 
I feel like the weeks that I open up, I've got a, 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 an iPhone and I left it in there, which is a good thing. Um, but if I open it up and there's not a lot of dots on my calendar, um, I, I sometimes panic because I also think this, people are going to think I'm not doing anything. People are going to wonder what I'm doing. And I think it's probably this. I'm a little gun shy from years of getting the jokes. You only work one day a week. You're going to give me two? Two days a week. So in, in the book, I did read um, most of it. Um, <clears throat> Heschel writes this. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. I think too often we have even turned Sabbath into a chore, something that I have to do, something that I need to mark off of my calendar, something that I can say, okay, I've taken care of that. Now I can move on to other things. And often what we'll think in our minds, what we wouldn't actually say out loud, is now I can move on to more productive things. I think also that we have to be careful because we have completely mixed Sabbath with worship. And so we think that the Sabbath is actually something that we do maybe one or two hours on Sunday, and then we're done with Sabbath and we can move on. But, but see, that's the thing. This is a worship service that we do on a Sabbath. Um, and for some, today is their Sabbath. For me and most of the staff, it is not. But we think, okay, I've done my two hours of Sabbath. I can check it off and move on. I had a, uh, uh, I was working, I was serving at a two-point charge one time, and they, the churches two-point charge means that you're serving more than you're serving two churches, um, and so they were six miles apart, exactly six miles apart. We lived on a parsonage on one. This is how I know the exact because we lived on the property of one of the churches. We lived in the parsonage, and I knew exactly how far I had to drive to get to the other church and how long, when I'd have to leave in order to make it there in time. They were both a little bit out in the country. They were up in Crossville, and so I didn't even have to worry about traffic on Sunday mornings. I could just hit that road and get there. Um, And so uh, we had a family that lived out in an area called Grassy Cove. They actually lived a little bit beyond Grassy Cove. It's a beautiful area. If you've never been there, I'd strongly recommend it. And, um, and so they, they had been going to the smaller of the two churches, which was right there in Grassy Cove. And all of a sudden, they stopped coming to church one day. And I hadn't seen them in about a month. And so I, I went and I visited with them. I was like, hey, what's going on? How are you guys doing? And they said, well, and it's not important why they decided not to go to that church anymore. <clears throat> and they said that they had been now going into First United Methodist Church, which they had to drive right past my other church to get to. And the thing was, they told me, they're like, now, oh, we just love you we, and your family. Uh, you guys are great. And I was like, well, why don't you just come to the Homestead? And they're like, well, because Homestead's worship service isn't until 10 o'clock, and we like to get it up and get it over with. <laughs> so that we can get on to more important things, the things that we actually enjoy doing. We think of Sabbath, we think of worship. We've kind of combined the two things, unfortunately, into this chore. But here's the thing. Worship is something that we should be doing all the time, 
Sabbath is something that we get to do once a week, hopefully. It's a, it's a, it should be built into the rhythm of our lives. Sabbath. It's not something that we give to God. But Sabbath is a gift that God gives to us. On Christmas Eve, I, I read quite a few quotes, actually, from this particular book, um, A Christmas Carol. And, um, and in The Christmas Carol, I want to, I one more time, I'm not going to quote from it year-round, but there's this exchange that takes place between Scrooge and um, the ghost of Christmas present. It's not one that you often see in the, the, the movies, the special, the Christmas specials. You don't, you don't really see this particular one, but it's in the book. And I think it's really important. So um, it's, it starts here. Um, Spirit, said Scrooge, after a moment's thought, I wonder, you, of all the beings in the many worlds about us, should desire to cramp these people's opportunities of innocent enjoyment. I cried the spirit, you would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day, often the only day on which they can be said to dine at all, said Scrooge, wouldn't you? I, cried the spirit, you seek to close these places on the seventh day, said Scrooge, and it comes to the same thing. I seek, exclaimed the spirit, forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family, said Scrooge. There are some upon this earth of yours, returned the spirit, who lay claim to know us and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name, who are as strange to us and all our kith and kin as if they had never lived. Remember that and charge their doings on themselves, not us. What's happening is that they have just visited bakeries. And the, the poor had started gathering up because they would bring their meals to the bakeries in order to have their meals cooked. Because there was a law in place that the bakeries were not allowed to bake any bread or anything like that on the Sabbath. But the bakers had realized that if they could keep their ovens hot on the Sabbath, which there was nothing about keeping an oven going, but if you could keep your ovens going and you could keep them hot, then on the next day you could be ready to bake bread in the morning and not have to worry about trying to get the ovens back up to the correct temperatures. And so what they did is they invited all of the poor people who might not have the means of making hot meals in their homes into the bakeries so they could bake. They could cook their, in this story, so they could cook their goose. And what, what Scrooge, or not Scrooge, <clears throat> what Dickens is referring to when he says that you're looking to stop this is this. Um, between 1832 and 1837, Sir Andrew Agnew made repeated attempts to introduce a Sunday observance bill in the House of Commons. This bill would not only have closed the bakeries on Sundays, but would also have prohibited many of the people's recreations while leaving the wealthier classes unaffected. In June 1836, writing as Timothy Sparks, Dickens had attacked Agnew in a pamphlet called Sunday Under Three Heads. And it goes on to talk about 
about what, was, what they were trying to do. So what they're trying to do is make it so you can't even have the ovens going. If we, if we make Sabbath a burden, it actually impedes the intended purpose of Sabbath. The intended purpose of Sabbath is to further grow, to, to nurture that relationship that we have with God. It's not about just taking a day off of work. It's about taking time and spending it with your creator. It's about nurturing that relationship. It's about date night. Think about this. If you're in a relationship with a special someone, how, how special would you feel if they looked at date night as a chore? Well, gosh, it's Friday night. I guess we got to go out. <laughs> Through our relationship with God, we have this opportunity to grow into our full potential, to become Christ-like. Things need rest if they're going to reach their potential and become the best versions possible. All those things that are being talked about in that passage of Scripture before, this idea about being able to, uh, to love your enemy by bringing back their ox who's crushed under the weight of the load. To, in order to do all those things, you're going to need Sabbath. Because I don't know about you, but I've noticed that the less rest I have, the less, Christ-like I, the less like Christ I look. Did that make sense? I'm not sure it did when it came out of my mouth. The less rest I have, the less time I spend with God, the least, the, the less I look like Christ. But think about it, right? Meat, when you first take it out, if you've been roasting a, a uh, standing rib, like on Christmas, we do, uh, we do prime rib. When you take it out, do you immediately cut it? No. What do you do? What does it say to do? Let it rest. I got a smoker a few months ago. Do you know what you do with that when you first finish? You wrap it in tin foil and you stick it in a cooler and you let it rest. Dough before it goes into the oven, right? You've mixed it, you've added the yeast, you've done all that. Then what do you do? You cover it with a towel and you let it sit. In this passage of scripture, the earth, the earth to allow the soil to become rich for planting, they let it rest. Anybody been watching the NFL this year? One of the things they've been talking a lot about is because they've had to delay games with COVID. Like they turn around and they're playing games within three or four days of a game they just played. And what is one of the things they say is that there's no way the team's going to be ready because they didn't get their rest. They didn't have time to recoup. It's the natural way of things. And there's community implications as well, Right? In our passage of scripture, it doesn't say that the rest is good just for the land. It is. But rather that the fallow land, which will continue to produce some useful volunteer growth, is for the benefit of those who have no property of their own. 
in this way, fields, vineyards, and orchards in the off year, they're fair territories for the poor and the wild animals. Interestingly, the law resists any practice of enclosure that draws too tightly the bounds of private property. Even private property has to be managed to keep it sometimes open to the needs and requirements of the community. Sabbath isn't just for you. Because you're part of a community. Like I said, when I'm tired, I'm not at my best. I'm not the best husband, friend, father, or pastor that I can be. And I'm a lot less likely to engage in loving my neighbor as God intends. So for us, Sabbath, and I would encourage you to find it. Whenever you, like, whether it be on a Saturday, whether it be on a Monday, whatever, find time to keep Sabbath. Because for us, it allows us to rest and become the best possible version of ourselves. All right, so here's a confession. I think you've picked it up by now. I've yet to find the time (laughs) to finish the book that Stephen gave me seven years ago. I can't find the time to finish a book on Sabbath. <clears throat> so here's my New Year's resolution. I'm going, to, I'm going to care enough about my relationship with God that I'm going to take time to care for the seed of eternity that's planted in my soul. And I have to admit, I feel guilty just saying that my New Year's resolution is to find time for Sabbath. Amen.